0: And welcome to episode 161 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. This is the What to Do When You're Observing Plans Go Bust Edition. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky and this podcast is for anyone else who likes going out under the stars. So last night was a little bit of a bust, wasn't it, Shane?
1: Yeah, uh, and very disappointing because I was very excited to come out and do some dark sky observing The, you know, the, the day itself was looking really good. And then we had two conflicting forecasts, you know, one Mm. forecast said that, so I guess maybe just to back it up a, a notch here, we've been having issues again with smoke this week where the smoke has been quite thick and, uh, you know, it's, it's washing out some of the night sky yesterday, one forecast said the smoke will basically disappear. Um, and you know, the evening should be really good for observing,
0: That was my, that was my forecast. So (laughs) let's just, this was my forecast and what did your forecast say?
1: It said, um, you know, increasing smoke, uh, around supper time and then, you know, thick, probably too thick to really observe. Um, I was holding out hope for your forecast. I think you were as well. And unfortunately (laughs) the smoke forecast, uh, won, won the day and Uh, uh, it was a little hazy out, um, which, which kind of dashed our plans really.
0: Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. I kind of, you know, I'm, I'm maybe a little bit too optimistic when it comes to the forecasting. If, if it says it might be clear, um, you know, I'll, I'll head out. I've, I've certainly gone uh, pretty far afield at times. That, that is one reason why I like being out here is that I can come here and kind of have a place to get in. I can, I can do other stuff if, if the night ends up being a bust. Yeah. Um, so, so anyway, that, that kind of is what happens that the smoke really, really blew in. And you, you could see, like, the moon and Venus and that sort of thing. but uh, And you, you could definitely see all the stars in a little bit of Milky Way. But yeah. um, it just wasn't really very good for observing. I think you did some planetary observing. But, you know, it was uh, sort of a, an interesting thing. So, like, what do you do when the night just doesn't uh, doesn't pan out? Um, but you've made sort of all your plans based, uh, you know, all, all your plans are orbiting around having a clear night. Um, I was talking to Mike and he, he, he packed up, he was like getting in the car to drive out here. And I'm like, don't like, don't even bother me. You're just, you're just wasting gas. Uh, so he went kayaking.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I had everything in my truck. Um, IP like you name it chair, it was all in the truck. It was ready to go. In fact, yeah. I even spent a couple hours in the afternoon, uh, just, Marking up my um, pocket sky atlas with the uh, the post-it uh, the, st- the sticky posted arrows, you know, of objects mm. that I wanted to observe. Everything was ready to roll. Um, you know, planning planning for a quick supper. Uh, you know, everything was in in motion, and then the smoke came. So, so you know, I guess you know it, it helps to have uh, multiple telescopes sometimes because what I did is I left everything in the truck. Um, and then I just changed to a a different astronomy plan that I had. Um, what I've been wanting to do is, um, well, first of all, I should say, I usually have multiple kind of astro projects on the go. Some of them are observing, uh, some of them are, um, maybe, you know, like building something like maybe I want to add, uh, you know, an eyepiece tray to a tripod or something like that. And then, um, you know, some of it is just research and, and there's, you know, probably a few others on there too. Um, but one of the things that's been on my list to do of astral projects is test out my, my Tasco 10 TE on some different mounts because mm-hmm. I want to use this telescope through winter, um, but I want to use a modern mount. I don't want to use the, the one that came with it. And um, so I just diverted my plans because um, you know, last night, the conditions weren't great for some, you know, real critical observing, but they were c- certainly good enough to find out how a telescope would ride on a certain mount and how the vibrations were. Um, you know, so that was what I did to sort of, you know, salvage the night from from the bust that it was with our original plans.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that sounds good.
1: Yeah. What, uh, what else do you, or what, what did you do? And maybe we can then just get into like, you know, other ideas that were, or other things that we do sometimes when the night is a bust.
0: So I really like what you said about, like you were, you were kind of meaning to maybe test out some different mounds. So this was something that was pretty high in your priority list, but just a little bit further down than Hey, it's clear. I'm going observing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one thing that was sitting in that zone for me for a number of weeks now, probably about the past seven or eight weeks, I noticed that the sky conditions out here uh, have become further and further out of sync with the sky conditions um, in Regina. It's, uh, you know, it's it's more than several dozen kilometers away. Um, really, it's it's the better part of, you know, uh, 100 kilometers once you're actually driving on the roads. So... It is in a very different zone, and we're kind of in this bit of a valley. And sometimes we get the weather that's sort of blowing from the north, and sometimes we get the weather that's blowing from the southwest a little bit more. And this impacted us last night because this combination ended up bringing in the smoke. Sometimes it brings in clear skies. I've I've been out here observing and say, hey, are you looking at the transit on Jupiter or whatever? And you're like, what are you talking about? It's completely cloudy here. There's been nights where you've been observing... Then I mean, you're like, "Hey, how how is he observing up there?" I'm like, "What are you talking about? It's completely cloudy here." Mm-hmm. So, so I thought I got to kind of get get some better forecasting tools. And so I ended up writing uh, Telodenko, who runs the uh, Clear Dark Sky Clocks or Clear Dark Sky Charts or whatever they're, they're being called now. And uh, I sort of detailed out all the information that you need to detail in order to get uh, get a sky clock set up. I've only set up a, a few of them before. And um, anyway, so he, he actually, I guess, got the email and was probably really happy that somebody took the time to, to give him all the right information he could just plug in. Um, and so I was really appreciative of, of that. And he actually set it up for, for me in the afternoon yesterday. And uh, and so then I could actually see, oh, yeah, wait, hang on a sec. The smoke for this location is considerably worse than Regina. But, of course, I really didn't get a good view of that until uh, until I landed here. Um, yeah, un- unfortunately. But, yeah, 100% those clear sky clocks uh, definitely provide you with Um, The information, the thing I like the most about the clear sky clock is that it tells you when the conditions um, are very likely to be too poor to observe. Sometimes it struggles to tell you um, when it's going to be clear to observe. It's better on forecasting when the conditions won't be favorable to observe. And although that sounds like the same thing, in my experience, it's really not. I kind of wish it would forecast more for for clear skies, but it's pretty good at actually predicting the clouds and, and smoke and things like that. Um, but sometimes it will predict um, clear sky and you'll you'll get clouds, um, but it's fine. It's a little bit optimistic and maybe I'm a little bit optimistic as well. So it, it works fine. Well. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and there's a number of factors, you know, I think that go into determining whether or not the night will be a bust, you know. There obviously cloud is 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 a big one, you know, if you can't see anything, then there's there's no observing to be done, but sometimes depending on the observing you want to do, um, you know, some some poor transparency can really ruin your plans. So it's always good yeah. to have some plan Bs or Cs or Ds because uh sometimes you get down that far on the list. <laughs>
0: Yeah. One of my other plans that that I really, really like, and it's more difficult um, in the city when I'm trying to do deep, deep sky observing. So if people kind of recall last year, and I was doing more planetary observing, um, you'll recall that I was getting up and observing in the morning. And that's fine when, when you're observing planets from the city, because uh, you don't have to really drive anywhere typically. And like I have perfect horizons or perfect, but very good horizons from my yard. And so, yeah, I can just get up, walk downstairs, uh, take a telescope out and, uh, and, and I get going it's no problem. But for dark sky observing, it is a little bit of a problem you have to drive. And so typically what I would do is, uh, is go and drive out into the fields somewhere and try to find a spot where people aren't, uh, aren't doing, uh, you know, farming practices, uh, cause, uh, well, you don't want to be on a road and obstruct, uh, the farmers that's, uh, that, that's sort of, uh, you don't want to do that. Um, but any, anyway, that's always a bit of a dice roll. And you know, finding a spot that, uh, that that's good, and then you get out there, and it can be windy, and then it's cold, and it, it, there's a lot of barriers. to Actually, just driving out somewhere at, uh, and not to mention the risk of going and driving around in the, in the giant fields at uh, at three or four o'clock in the morning isn't great either. So, what what I like to do is get up and observe. So it looked like it was going to clear out pretty good um, after about two a.m. So I set my alarm for. Uh, for about quarter to four, because I thought, well, certainly it should be, be clear. And I often wake up at about about quarter to four anyway. So I thought, well, I'll get up and, uh, and see, and I did, and it was awesome, and so I did a session. So even though my evening plans and my plans with you and Mike um, end up going down the drain, um, I did end up having a session anyway. And now that session was a little shorter and it was pretty cold and it was a little windier than you'd like. And there was still some high haze. I was able to kind of salvage a, a session out of that and, uh, you know, and, and do, do some sketching. So, uh, you know, that's just kind of being, being able to, to adapt to it. And I guess that's the other thing is by, by, uh, kind of, you know, uh, getting, getting a place that I can go and sort of be ready to observe when the opportunities present themselves that, uh, you know, that really is a big part of this.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, the, the rise and shine early in the morning has never been too high on my list, but I I think that's a great idea because it really opens up a lot more opportunity for you. And, and oftentimes, you know, the, the uh, conditions can really change over the course of, you know, eight hours or, you know, from, 8 PM till four in the morning, you know, that's a lot of time for systems to move in and out.
0: Yeah, I do really like observing morning. I've, uh, I think I've always done it. Mm -hmm. Um, it does look clear and I'm in a place where I can do it. I, I often gotten up and I do find those early morning hours are, you know, a little bit better. And I find they're more focused. Like I can do quite a bit of observing in an hour or an hour and a half. Um, like I did this morning. Um, And it's really, yeah, it's really neat. So you come out and there are some lights in this area, um, but like everybody's got their lights off typically by, by 4am. So you have just, you know, and it's fairly dark here, but it, it probably gets you, you know, another 0.1 or 0.15 of a magnitude darker. And, uh, and then often the sky is just stabled up it's stabilized over the night. And you're sort of at at the end of the temperature gradient. So the temperature is not uh, not dropping, uh, dropping anymore. But if, if it's not going to clear out, Shane, if, if if the clouds really move in and it's going to be pretty crummy, I think it was like Friday night, it rained. It looked like originally it was going to be good, but Friday night it rained. Um, how did you adjust your plans uh, or how do you adjust your plans on a night that, that completely crops out and you're you're not going to be able to get out at all?
1: Um, well, you know, sometimes the, the alternative um, is nothing to do with astronomy. Sometimes that means I'm watching a movie with my wife or something like that. Um, but if I still, you know, am doing something astronomically related and it's just there's no way I can get outside. Um, I'll uh, Occasionally I'll do like just some gear maintenance, like whether it's, um, you know, cleaning some eyepieces if it's been a while and they're dirty. Um, maybe it's just reorganizing an eyepiece case. Um, you know, taking something out that I don't use and maybe putting something in that I kind of wished I would have when I'm out observing. Um, so a little bit of maintenance stuff occasionally. Um, sometimes I'll just use that time to plan for the next session. Um, because sometimes when I go out, it's not a planned session. You know, it's just out to observe. Um sometimes I like to um like have my Sky Atlas marked up, you know, with the sticky post-it notes. Um, So I'll spend time doing that. Um, I have a number of astronomy books that I haven't read yet that I just like to read occasionally on the couch. So I'll sometimes pick up those. Um, Or I'll spend time online reading Cloudy Nights or, um, you know, probably uh, one that I'm trying to reduce a bit is, uh, you know, the the never-ending uh, acquisition of new gear. (laughs) Um, so sometimes it's just buying and selling stuff as well. You know, whether it's, uh, well, the buying stuff is, is more sporadic, right? That's not really dependent on, on bad weather, but sometimes during bad weather, I'll, I'll take a look at what I no longer need or use and then post that for sale. Like, you know, I've got a few items right now that I, I probably should get posted because I just don't use them. So, you know, why, why keep them?
0: Yeah, no, no, exactly. Uh, actually, that's a little bit of the rabbit hole I end up uh, going down. On Friday, I, as you know, I I actually haven't bought an eyepiece since I bought my doctor twelve and a half about three, maybe yeah, about three years ago. I think I bought it in twenty nineteen when they they went on sale and they stopped making. I guess they've they've recently reissued it, but yeah. uh, but I, I hadn't bought an eyepiece for myself. Now I bought a few eyepieces um, you know, four people and I bought a Barlow for myself, uh, three or four months ago. But other other than that, uh, hadn't bought an eyepiece, but I I ended up buying sort of a a long time eyepiece that, or eyepiece that I've wanted for a long time, um, which is the Masuyama 32 millimeter, uh, 85 uh, degree, um, simply because, uh, I, I already pretty much own that eyepiece in my, old 30 millimeter Kellner, which has uh, a limited uh, field stop. And it also uh, isn't as high quality as sort of the original Masuyama. So I'm, I'm kind of excited to get the original article, um, it, you know, for the eyepiece that, that I've always uh, used quite a bit, um, you know, and, and, you know, have the more modern coatings, you know, and a few ounces, you know always helps to to keep it in the eyepiece bag and uh, yeah it's a it's a really really wide field eyepiece it's got a wider field than uh, anything else uh, it's pretty much 46 and a half millimeters which uh, which is virtually as as wide as you can go I think
1: yeah I'm super excited for you to get that eyepiece that has been one that I've been curious about for a long time um, it really hits on a number of fronts, you know, a nice wide field and it's light, you know, that's uh, what, what I'm really wanting right now is, is a wide field two inch eyepiece. That's light because I have the uh, 31 Nagler and the 41 uh, millimeter panoptic. And both of those are really heavy eyepieces. They're, they're wonderful eyepieces, but uh, sometimes they make balance a bit of an issue, especially with a smaller telescope. So I I would, I would like something, uh, you know, a little more lightweight, um, one that you know, comes up occasionally in my mind is the thirty-five millimeter panoptic, but uh, the Masuyama that you're getting um, has been, uh, you know, a very curious eyepiece to me. So I, I can't wait to look through it.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm really excited when this this first came out. I guess it, or or it was re released back about six years ago or something like that and I knew it was coming and I heard it was in places and then people did reviews and the reviews were were mixed I guess Mm. to to say at at best now get understand this is a lightweight super wide field. Basically, it's a Koenig design. I, I think maybe it has like an extra element or the elements have been jiggled around a little bit to give it s- slightly better performance than a Koenig. But but it really is a Koenig. And it it's also, I think, pretty much the least expensive um, of, of the two-inch sort of in my opinion, like high-end ocular range, like it's uh, it's only it's only about a third or maybe twenty-five percent the cost of an Angular thirty-one. Um, it's it's uh, less than, much less than half the cost of the Pentax forty. Um, so it's much much more affordable, and uh, you know it's very lightweight. But on on the downside, the uh, the edge of field is probably going to be a little bit soft. I'm just hoping it's it's a little bit better than my current one. But my current one, I've used so much over the years, and I've really, really enjoyed it because it has few elements and you get this great light throughput. And the other thing with, with this eyepiece, it's a little bit magical in that if you use two-inch nebula filters, um, it tends to help uh, sharpen up those stars, like the, the point of focus where the two-inch nebula filters are Gives you really crisp uh, star images, and because I use a lot of two-inch nebula filters, um, for me, you know, it, it's a match being have an extra light throughput, lightweight, super wide field, and uh, you, you know, uh, works really works perfectly. Best best eyepiece to use with filters. Like last night, I only used filters. I, I hardly uh, hardly observed without filters last night, and and I do have nights like that, so. Um, I'm really, really excited about about this eyepiece. But uh, yeah, p- apart from gear and cleaning gear, is there is there anything else that uh, that you end up uh, working on, Shane? That you've thought of?
1: Uh, nothing, nothing really else other than what I've uh, already mentioned. You know, like reading, research. Um, you yeah. know, and then and then kind of gear, whether it's maintenance or buying, selling. But um, you know, uh, that, that really consumes my time on, on, uh, nights when I can't observe. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I know we were talking sort of, you know, informally, or maybe, maybe dreaming a bit is the, is the best way to put it of, uh, maybe like a six inch refractor yes. in your future.
1: Yes, yes. I, I You know, that's one of the things. Like, uh, you know, if <laughs> probably this Wednesday, I think we're getting snow or rain or something like that. Yeah. Uh, so it'll be one of those nights where I'm not out observing. I may end up putting a want ad out for a six inch acro. <laughs> mm. um, yeah, you know, like the a six inch acromat refractor really really intrigues me because um, um, you know it gives you. Uh, the aperture that you need for deep sky, like it would be very similar in light gathering power to what an eight-inch Dobsonian would provide,
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: but you have, you know, all of the things that I appreciate about refractors. Um, now, you know, the the knock with acromats is the false color, and that typically really only shows up on bright objects like Jupiter, Venus, and the Moon. So when you're looking at galaxies and other, you know, dark sky stuff or deep sky stuff. Um, I, I, think an acro would be very, a very good performer. Now, the other thing that's appealing about six inch acros is you can get them for like relative to an apple extremely cheap. Like you could yeah. probably get one of those old Celestron C, uh, Celestron six inches. I, I don't know if they're known as a C six or what they are, <laughs> but, um, you know, I think you can find those for like four to $500 Canadian, which I think is a pretty good buy. Um, and then I already have mounts that would be robust enough to haul something like that. So it's yeah. really just find the telescope. And I think it would be an amazing, uh, dark sky performer.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I look forward to, uh, to seeing, to seeing your, at uh, now you also mentioned maybe digging up, uh, doing some research or maybe looking at other projects. So do you. Uh, do, you have, do you have any projects you've kind of been tinkering around in the back of your mind, maybe maybe to start working on? I know you've done a lot of double star observing and different observing like that, but now you have the bino Viewer. Is there any sort of binocular Viewer deep sky plans that uh, that you're thinking of uh, of undertaking?
1: Well... Yes, um, but I don't think it really will be anything new, so to speak. Um, in fact, it, it the Bino viewer testing that I want to do will be looking at objects that I'm very familiar with in the deep sky um, uh, category. So, you know, the point or, or what I want to do is, is at some point here, determine whether or not the Bino viewer will be the way I just observe from now on, meaning mm-hmm. not just from my backyard with doubles and planets, but also from the, the dark sky locations. Yeah. Um, so I, I want to come out you know, to your place or some other dark sky uh, locations and look at things like, you know, M31 and Malat 20 and on and on and on stuff excuse me, that I've looked at many times so that I can, you know, kind of compare what the views look like and um, uh, see, see what I like. And then the other thing that I want to do, uh, I haven't done this enough from a dark sky site, but also just really compare the uh, difference between uh, the complex eyepieces, like, you know, the wide fields uh, versus simpler eyepieces like Orthos. I would like to do that comparison um, in MonoVision, but also with the vinyl viewers. Uh, just to see, you know, just to see if I can see a difference.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: so I'm kind of curious about that. But, you know, you know, as for any new projects, not really, but I do have um, uh, a, like there's this one double star book that I have. I'm just reaching for it here. Um, Mike got me on it. It's the Anthology of Visual Double Stars. And um, I'm just sorry, I'm just reaching here. So I probably sound a little distant. Well,
0: boy, that just rolls off the tongue. <laughs> well, you, you know, so, some of these titles—they they really should get me making up the titles.
1: They should, yeah, yeah. You're 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 the title guy. <laughs> but <laughs> anyway, yeah, yeah. It, this is a pretty decent sized book. It's 472 pages, and it looks like there are 175 double stars. Oh, count. And what it does for each double star, it tells you, you know, just the like the there's a specifications table, but then the history. So you know this. So, uh, what is this here? STF 3050. Um, so this star was found to be double by Christian Meyer in 1777, Mm. later swept up by William Herschel in his double star survey in 1792 and announced as HN 58. So, you know, it gives you like the history of observing that, uh, then it talks a little bit about the modern era, um, which is usually a little bit of the science behind it, you know, in terms of like, uh, like the period of the uh, orbit and all that. Mm. Uh, there's a finder chart and then observing in neighborhoods. So, you know, this is a beautiful binary, both stars, white or yellowish and easily resolvable in small apertures, which is now widening. Uh, mm. Measures made with the Cambridge 20 centimeter since 1990 show that the angle has increased by 20 degrees. So, you know, it, it's a really good book if you're a double star lover. It's, a, I think, a relatively new book. Um, so anyway, this is one of a few books that I, you know, if I'm just sitting on the couch and I can't observe, I'll pick it up and, you know, just start reading through it. Or if I've observed, um, say a double star off of the RASC list that I'm still working through, I may come to this thing and just read about it in here after I've observed it. Um, so, you know, I enjoy doing that kind of stuff.
0: Cool. Yeah. I've, uh, kind of dusted off one of my projects, which is, uh, observing some of the, the very early first telescopic uh, observations of uh, like G. B. Hodierna and and uh, Cesaro and some of the other uh, early observers. Um, yeah, I've I've been working on a larger work and kind of had had put it on the back burner for a while and. Kind of was wondering about an object or two, and kind of couldn't really find the information anywhere else. And kind of looked up my notes, and I was like, I have extensive notes on this stuff. I should really get back and and work uh, and kind of kind of refine uh, some of this material. So that's that's kind of where where I'm going. And uh, yeah, I mean that's sort of what you do is just kind of need to plow along. Uh, like you said, gear maintenance. Uh, do some reading i see that the new backyard astronomers guide is coming out I, yeah I, I that the other night so that's exciting
1: yeah i'm glad you mentioned that because um, uh, that's in the latest sky news i i've noticed they have a pretty big review of it and um you know that's a book that we both have appreciated in the past so i think that'll it's nice to see that they've refreshed it with some you know modern or kind of the latest greatest gear and um uh, you know, a few other interesting topics in there too. So that'll be a good buy for anybody.
0: Yeah. Great. Uh, great for the holiday season written by, uh, two, uh, great Canadian amateur astronomers. You have Alan, yeah. Alan, uh, Dyer and Terrence Dickinson. So, uh, yeah, I, I might actually get, so I almost want to get the older, like a, I, I didn't buy the last version. I wish I had, I, I've bought a few different versions over the over the many years, but uh I wish I did buy the last version because Glenn LeDru, who's a who's a astronomer, amateur astronomer out of Ottawa, he did the isophotes for the uh, Milky Way um lines in in that last edition. I thought it'd be really cool to get it and then cut those out and have that sort of as a star chart in my mm. in my uh in my observing repertoire, but, uh, but anyway, maybe, maybe people would be selling their older copies for good prices and, uh, might be able to pick one up even maybe even new at a good price. So might start looking for, for one of those and maybe I'll get the new copy too. I, I think those, those, uh, folks write, uh, write great books and I'm thinking this may be the last one. Cause, uh, you know, they, I think they've done like a million different editions and so much has gone online now that, uh, you know, I know I know they were debating uh, quite a bit whether or not they, they would even do another edition at one point uh, when I was chatting to Alan uh, several years ago now so mm. uh, but clearly they decided to do it so so that's super awesome. yeah, I look I look forward to that. So is there anything else to add uh, Shane to to what to do when your plans go bust? That is all I have. Yeah. well, thanks so much uh, for this conversation and uh, hey, maybe we'll be able to get out uh, tonight or tomorrow night.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Let's see what it looks like. Excellent.
0: Well, thanks so much. And thanks everybody for listening.
1: Thank you everyone for listening. And we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com.